award-winning Tennessee Wildcast is on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, wildlife watching, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. I'm Jason Harmon. I'm excited about today's show. We are in a lab here at the Nashville Zoo, and we're hanging out with some pretty cool creatures. Uh, Clint Borum's one of them. No. <laughs> Clint Borum's going to help me co-host today. He's one of our wildlife habitat biologists. And then we have Geronimo Silva, a private lands biologist, and Sherry Reinch. Uh, she's the herpetologist, the lead herpetologist here at the National yeah. Zoo. So it's going to be a fun show. We're going to have some cool creatures, uh, at least one cool creature to pull out for you today and, and introduce you to, and it's going to be a fun show. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, me too, Jason. So, Thanks uh, for having us. Thank you all for setting this up and, and letting us come to the zoo and do no this problem. show. Uh, great setup here, and, and it's going to be fun. So today we're talking about the hellbender, and uh, it's a really neat creature. We're going to pull one out here and let you see it talk about it today and learn about how we can improve habitat for these guys um, and make make life better for them and so you can see more out there um, yeah. so first of all let's learn about the hellbender where can we find them and what what are they okay tell us about it so this is a hellbender this is actually a four-year-old animal um, you can see they are salamanders um, and they are made to live in the water. Uh, they're fully aquatic salamanders. Um, they're actually North America's largest salamander. They can actually get up to two and a half feet long. Um, so this guy is not that long. He's, he's still young. They reach sexual maturity in, uh, you know, six to ten years. Um, so he's still got a little ways to go. Um, but you can kind of see he's got some wrinkles on his side here, and that actually increases the surface area of his skin and helps him absorb oxygen. Um, so they don't have to come to the surface and breathe like uh, snakes or turtles or frogs do. They mm -hmm. can stand in water as long as they want. Um, and so these guys are sometimes called uh, snot otters or devil dogs or mud dogs. Water dogs. Water dogs. Yeah, yeah that's a common one. Um, we actually don't know where their name Hellbender comes from, um, so we just call them that. Um, so, sorry, they ahead. mostly eat crayfish in the wild, um, but they also do eat some fish. Okay, yeah, we, we were feeding some earlier there, and yep. it's cool to watch them snatch up, what was it, shrimp that we yep, were feeding? Yeah, little shrimp. And uh, it's pretty awesome to watch them. Uh, the coloration, the ones that I've seen in the water seem to be more green or this spots. Are the spots normal? Is that something? Yeah, the spots um, help them uh, blend in a little bit. They are nocturnal, but they do come out during the day sometimes. Um, so the spots seem to just help them blend in. There does seem to be... Um, this is all anecdotal evidence that there's some uh, coloration depending on what streams they're from. Um, so if you get some from like Pennsylvania, they have a different color versus the ones that we have in, in Middle Tennessee versus even East Tennessee. Um, so this guy, he's actually from Middle Tennessee, um, from the Duck River watershed. Um, this seems to be a, a normal coloration for them. Some of the ones we have are a little bit, uh, they have more yellow to them, and uh -huh. that seems to be also anecdotally from being exposed to more sunlight. So. Uh, let's give the Duck River a plug, one of the most diverse rivers in the state. Yeah, the second most biologically diverse river in the world. Okay, in so, so uh, that's he's coming out. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, tell and, us, go ahead. I was going to say, a lot of people ask us if, you know, if, if halberds are lizards or if they're fish or things like that. And I think it's nice to remember that there are salamanders. Okay. And then so they will be together with your, your frogs and your toads and your other terrestrial salamanders while... Uh, your snakes and your lizards would be reptiles. And the main difference is that your reptiles will have the, the, the scales and they'll have eyelids and mm -hmm. most of them will be terrestrial. While your salamanders, especially hellbenders, are fully aquatic and they're, they're going to be, you know, either 
uh, have that, that mix of terrestrial and aquatic lifestyle together. So they will actually be in, within the salamander family. A little bit different than your terrestrial salamanders, the little ones. Okay, okay. What's their habitat look like for the most part? Um, well, they are found in, in parts of Middle Tennessee and East Tennessee also. Um, so they really like um, cold, clean rivers. Um, they're mostly found when there's low sediment um, because the large ones live under really large rocks and then the different life stages, the juveniles, the subadults, and the larvae will actually live under different sized rocks. Um, so we need low sediment streams um, so there's lots of spaces under the, the cobble and the gravel for the, mm -hmm. for the larvae and the juvenile to live. Are they pretty strong animals? Do they move those rocks around? And They do. Um, at least what I've seen at the zoo is they actually do. They'll kind of They'll move a lot more rocks than I, I expected around. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to see one, you can come to the zoo, right? We do. Um, we actually have two, um, two of the very first Eastern Hellbender, or Eastern, yep, Eastern Hellbenders captive born at the, uh, in the country at the Nashville Zoo on exhibit. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, um, Geronimo, tell us about the status of this animal. Right, so these, um, so we have two, we have a, a two subspecies under the, the hell, under hellbenders. So we okay. have the Ozark hellbenders and the Eastern hellbenders. So historically, these animals uh, were found in 15 states. The, they went all the way from uh, southern New York, all the way to the tip of Georgia, all the way up to Illinois, with a with a separate population up in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri and Arkansas. The animals located in that area, they're the subspecies, the Ozark Hellbenders. The Ozark Hellbenders are federally protected under the Endangered Species Act. What we have here in Tennessee is the Eastern Hellbenders. So the Eastern Hellbender right now is considered state endangered, but at, uh, the help of the Eastern Hellbender here in the southeast is also a species of concern for other states like North Carolina, Georgia, and Virginia. So it's a, it's a joint effort between between all of us to kind of tackle Hellbender conservation. So. Um, um, so given that status here in Tennessee, hellbenders will probably stay in the conservation ra radar for the foreseeable future. Yeah, for quite a while, I'd say. So um, why are people working with this animal? What, what's their importance and why, why are we doing all this work? Uh, well, obviously because they're super awesome. Yeah, they are super um, awesome. <laughs> I really enjoy them. Um, they are, so they're declining in the wild, like all over their, uh, their range. Um, one of the things that we've found is that, um, so we're still find, finding viable nests, so we're still getting um, viable eggs, but we're only finding wild adults when we go and look. Um, so there's some disconnect between um, viable eggs and then being uh, juveniles and subadults. So we're only finding old adults. So there's there's some problem there, and because they live in the rivers, they're always 100% in there. It's it's a problem with the ecosystem. It's a problem with the water quality, mm. um, which affects us because, well, we drink that and use that for our everyday lives. Right. Um, and so it's something that we need to investigate. And because they're kind of a canary in the coal mine, so they are an indicator of, of good health um, and good water quality. We do need to be paying attention to what's going on and then trying to fix it. Because um, as you said, Duck River and just Middle Tennessee, or just all of Tennessee, is actually the most biodiverse hotspot or state, landlocked state Landlock in the state, United yeah. States. Yeah. Um, so our freshwater diversity is like no other. And some of the species we find here can't be found anywhere else on Earth. Um, so we really need to be t paying attention to the ecosystem as a whole and, and trying to preserve that because it's, it's just a really important part of Tennessee you know, as a whole. And, and well, it, it pertains to our health, too. Right. Well, what I think is neat is, you know, we relatively just started learning about the hellbender. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, 40 years ago yeah. before, you know, we really started looking into the hellbender and what was going on in their systems. And uh, so it, it's kind of like this new, fresh 
species that hasn't been researched forever and ever. Uh, yeah. And so that's very interesting to find out some of these indicators that the hellbender shows us. So and another co really cool thing about hellbenders is that they're the only representatives of their family here in North America. Their closest relatives are going to be the Chinese uh, giant salamander and the, and the Japanese giant salamander. So different hellbenders are really the only thing that are like hellbenders, the only species that are like hellbenders here mm -hmm. in North America, and especially in the southeast and other areas where these animals are present, like Sherry was saying, it's, it's part of our treasure. It's part of the, the biodiversity treasure. And uh, there's a lot of uh, research that shows that the more species you have within the ecosystem, more resilient that ecosystem is to change. Mm -hmm. So the more we grow as, as, as a species, as human species, and the more we expand, the more impact we'll have in our ecosystem. So the more biodiversity you have, the more complexity you have, the more resilient your ecosystems are, and the more change they can actually withstand over time. Wow. So, you know, they're the only one of, in, of their type here in North America, and they contribute to that resiliency. And where they occur, they're really good indicators of water quality. So they live, what, 40 years? We, um, we think. We're not entirely sure. The the record that we have is 30 years, but we all kind of think they yeah. can live a lot longer. Mm -hmm. So the cool thing is that you know if they live for that for that long, they can tell your story right, of yeah. the watershed and of the of, of rivers. So if these animals are supposed to be around for 30 years and they all are disappearing in 10 years, what does that tell us? Our right. So that's quality. a really neat. Yeah. It's a really neat uh, part of helping our conservation. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, tell us about the the young ones that are over here in the in the tanks. Okay, you said it's harder it, that you weren't seeing those in the water. You're not finding those younger. Correct. Uh, um, so where did these come from? So are these are come. Uh, these are from. Uh, Middle Tennessee, so we actually went and collected these. These are part of our Head Start program. Um, so what we do is we collect eggs from the wild. Uh, we don't take all of them, we just take a small portion of the nest. Okay. Um, females can have up to 500 eggs. Um, so we take them, we bring them here, and we raise them for a few years um, because they're, you know, there's something that's happening in that one to two year range where they're just not surviving. So we're, we're head starting them, we're giving a head start, we're getting them past that critical point. We're ra uh, raising them till I don't know. We haven't quite started our releases yet. This one, these guys are four years old. Okay. Uh, we hope to start our releases soon. Um, so we're getting them past that critical stage where something's happening, and then we're going to put them back in the wild, and hopefully um, we can augment the populations, and then we can, you know, just kind of give them a, a head start while we try and figure figure out what's going on in the rivers and also try and fix it and mitigate it so that they can then um, take over themselves and actually reproduce successfully. Are there ways to, to monitor them as far as tagging them and that kind of thing? Yes. Uh, once we um, get to that point, we'll do pit tags and probably transponders so we can actually um, track their right, or how so they their move. Right. Yeah. 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 Movement. Yeah. Similar to how the, the fisheries guys do with fish to the pit yeah. tagging. Yeah. yeah. Alright, cool. Cool. So, we kind of hit on what's causing the decline. Anything else you'd want to touch on that? I mean, what well, yeah, one of the things that I all, always try to talk about when I give presentations or do outreach events is that uh, we have to remember that we're not really, especially when, when we, deal with, with, we deal with private lands, we're not disconnected from the entire ecosystem. So everything, all of us are part of a watershed somewhere. So the idea is that it's a big V where all the water that falls within that land ends up in the water system mm -hmm. right through runoff. So any water that's not absorbed through the soil basically runs across the surface and then gets everything that's available and, and loose and brings it down to, to the water. So uh, whatever we do, whatever I do in my property, and if, I'm, if my, uh, anything in my property ends in 
the waterway will impact people downstream. So uh, hellbender decline is kind of a proxy for what's happening in a watershed mm -hmm. level. And it's, it's a combination of everything. It's a combination of the sediment through um, uh, just erosion Parking on croplands. <laughs> Parking lots. Parking lots and oil and agrochemicals. So it's a combination of everything. So it's important for us to keep in mind that everything that we do in a landscape level um, ends up in, in the watershed. And the special issue, the, the main issue is sedimentation. Yep. Would you agree? Yep. Where the problem is that not only for hellbenders, but for, but for a lot of the aquatic wildlife, all the extra sedimentation is a natural process. But the problem is that there's way too much sediment being transported into these waterways and it basically fills out all those little crevices and little areas that these animals use and that's one of the biggest issue. Another one is dams, not not uh, not necessarily the big ones but the small ones as well. So a lot of uh, uh, folks when I and I use it to do that too when you go to the river and you build the the dams and you stack all those rocks to create a little swimming pool for uh -huh. you know for to have fun we also have found we have found hell, dead hellbenders larvae and whatnot in these areas where people where there are hellbenders and people are building these dams so we always try to encourage folks to try to enjoy uh, your you know your natural resources without changing so much of the habitat that's available to right. wildlife out there as well. Yeah, yeah, believe it, believe it or not, Geronimo and I got to go out on the field a few weeks ago. <laughs> well, tell us about that. <laughs> I mean, we had a good time. He's cracking up. But uh, but we went all over uh, Lawrence and uh, Lewis County and Hickman County and uh, looked in uh, Buffalo River watershed mm -hmm. and uh, Swan Creek watershed and, and really saw some interesting stuff. We saw some areas that you know Geronimo thought were just fantastic areas for hellbenders areas that had not been sampled yet there were some areas that they had sampled for hellbenders in the mm -hmm. past uh, that had shown some improvement uh, but we saw a lot of concerns too and so uh, you know this this episode hopefully we'll get that information out there about right. those concerns that we saw but all in all I think uh, we had a pretty good time we had a pretty good hamburger too yeah for lunch that was and, good uh, that was a good day uh, and, you know, it was a good day yeah. but uh, uh, I think Geronimo came out of there feeling you know good about the potential and uh, uh, for projects in that area so were you looking for hellbenders did you find any or are you looking for places to, to put them back? So I, I, I was personally looking at how I can work with private landowners to improve habitat and water quality for hellbenders. Okay. So there is uh, hellbender research has kind of different stages throughout the state and throughout the, the entire range, really. So you have different partners that are involved with it. So you have lots of the universities and the National Zoo that's doing the research side of things. I was I did my graduate work with hellbenders as well. So that's when I did a lot of the in the field research and surveys mm -hmm. and uh, with this new position with the Natural Resources Conservation Service uh, through the uh, it's a it's a through the USDA. Right. So we work with private landowners to try to identify areas where we can work together and improve um, habitat for these animals. So it's a win-win situation for landowners and conservation where we're tackling some of the natural resources concerns that the the landowner may have, but also improve water quality. So when I went out with Clint. We're mainly identifying areas where, you know, the riverbanks fail in. Uh, there's a lot of source of erosion where we can uh, improve in the area. But previously, we have done a lot of surveys down uh, in the Buffalo River. Yep. So my the, in, the initiative, and we can talk a little bit more about that later, sure. but the, we have certain, basically... Three years ago, a hellbender experts got together in Tennessee and wrote a grant, and we asked 
where can we work with private landowners and where should we focus our conservation effort? Because the only, uh, well, the, the, the initiative is called this, uh, the Southeastern Hellbender Conservation Initiative. And it's a partnership between, that's logo. right. Yeah, that's a t-shirt over there. And that's a t-shirt, yeah. So it's a, it's a partnership between um, uh, Conservation Management Institute out of Virginia Tech, Defenders of Wildlife, and NRCS. Um, so the idea is where could we focus our efforts with private landowners because no one has been doing that before. Uh, most of the hellbender work would be um, uh, research and, and looking at that conservation approach. So we have certain watersheds that we have selected in Tennessee that we would like to work with uh, landowners okay. to, to focus on that, on that on habitat quality. And that's, I mean, Plant's been working with landowners for a long time. Yeah, a long time. And uh, so anyway, that's that's awesome that, that we, hopefully folks will want to jump in there and, and do these practices. And we'll hit on some of these practices and what they can do. Clint, tell us tell us how you can get involved with some landowners, how landowners can get involved in this work. And Yeah, and that's kind of the, you know, we're moving into the part in this interview of how and why is USDA and NRCS involved in this project. Well, NRCS, or the Natural Resource Conservation Service, is a federal agency uh, under the branch of USDA and Congress that is uh, tasked with protecting the nation's soil, air, water, and wildlife. Okay, that's their primary job. Uh, they basically have an office in every county and every state and have a professional uh, who deals and works with private landowners. Every five years, Congress appropriates a farm bill. There's billions upon billions of dollars in that farm bill. And NRCS's job is to get that money down to the county level, to the local landowner, and offer up conservation-friendly practices that, again, protect soil, air, water, and wildlife. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you know, we're looking at practices like reducing sedimentation, minimizing erosion, and providing critical wildlife habitat NRCS raised their hand and said, yeah, we want to get on board with this. Mm -hmm. So that's how that partnership came to be. And they had some funding that the group applied for and developed this initiative. Okay. So, so that's how the, Southern, uh, the Southeastern Hellbender Conservation Initiative was born, I guess. Yeah, that's pretty much how it was born through people like Sherry and Geronimo yeah. who, who understand the need and the value for these species got together and created this initiative. And so... NRCS is the format in which they can fund this initiative, hopefully, mm -hmm. and uh, and move forward with protecting these resources. Uh, it's a win-win for NRCS. You know, they work with these landowners in a, on a daily basis, and and they have, let's face it, money talks. Okay, mm -hmm. and NRCS has the money for yeah. these landowners to install and even possibly incentivize them above and beyond installation. To do these conservation-friendly practices, so so it's 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 pretty much free for the landowner. I yeah, mean, I mean, pretty much. They I mean, help a little some bit. Some of these, you know, the, based upon the different programs that are out there, you know, some are designed to be cost share practices where the landowner has some skin in the game, right. uh, and, and NRCS funds a major portion of the installation of that practice, as long as it's done according to their specs and standards, and and. Believe me, NRCS has a spec and a standard on everything. The federal government yeah. has a spec and a standard on on how to go to the restroom. I think, but uh, besides that, you know, they lay it out, and they've had some professional engineers and professional yeah. biologists and, uh, and and agronomists lay these practices out to again protect soil, air, water, and wildlife. And, so. and those landowners are it, the majority of the land is private land. 
Yeah, so I mean that's what's touching the water. Not so much public land that you know we what? can. Have direct access. Ninety-five percent of Tennessee is privately owned. Between ninety and ninety-five percent exactly. of the land mass in the state of Tennessee is privately owned land. If we cannot reach those people, right. we are not doing the best and, job and that th- we can and do. And that's one. That's one of the things that I always say is those the the private landowners are the true stewards of the land. So they are. We we we. We want to work with them because if it's their land and they are the ones that are responsible for keeping it uh, healthy for future generations. And one really cool thing about this is that it shows the importance of partnership is that, you know, without us actually having the habitat for these animals and having clean water for for these animals and decreasing sedimentation and, and all of that none of these animals can actually get released. Yep. And and for, as far as I know, they are pretty, pretty genetically unique. They are. Some of the populations, right? Yep. Some of what we do um, at the zoo is we go out in the field and we look for uh, hellbenders and see where they are. So when we do find them, we do uh, disease sampling and then we do DNA sampling. Um, so what we found with our DNA so far is that um, the Tennessee River drainage seems to be um, a little bit more unique. Um, they... I don't want to talk about Paul's stuff. Yeah. Um, they, they are special. Um, so they are more of the this, this southern range. So they might be more important genetically um, as our climate warms up. They're a little bit more used to being um, in warmer waters than some of the northern. Uh, yeah, what's really cool is by protecting this species, you're improving the water quality and the water habitat it's a for many other mm-hmm. species mm-hmm. that say a normal landowner might be more interested in like bluegill bass crappie catfish you know trout all those things are being uh advanced or protected with these practices that we're talking about and any landowner can come into a usda office and sign up or ask for help Uh, if you think you have issues with erosion or sedimentation or lack of good wildlife habitat mm-hmm. or grazing or haying or crop issues. Or if you just want to improve your production, if you just yeah. want to improve your, your operation. Yeah, if you want to maximize production, NRCS can help you out. And mm-hmm. and myself, the other private lands biologists that are out there Four across that the state, work right? in conjunction, right. And, and I think we, we have some... Some you have some examples of practices yeah, that yeah. we cover. So yeah. you know, starting off, one of the things that that Geronimo and I were looking at on the when we were out there is, is the status of the channel bed. Mm-hmm. You know, what does it look like? You know, NRCS can help with stabilizing channel beds in streams, small streams. Uh, you know, they can also look at putting in-stream structures in, mm-hmm. like we call them J-hooks, which mm-hmm. are rip-wrap structures that actually can change the flow of the current and move that water away from a sensitive area. Gotcha. Uh, you know, in this process, when we work on these things, we work with a lot of livestock producers. So uh, livestock fencing, exclusion fencing of cows on streams and creeks and ponds and lakes, you know, is important. Uh, mm-hmm. And RCS cost shares on that. And then, you know, in return, you know, we're going to provide you an alternative watering system uh, that uh, that, it, that is designed to withstand a lot of animals. It has a heavy use protection around it. Right. 
uh, stream crossings are always important. <laughs> it seems like in the bottom of every ditch or every hollow, there's a stream somewhere in Tennessee. Okay, mm -hmm. lots of springs and lots of water movement. You know, in order to get from one part of your property to the other, sometimes it's important to harden up those stream crossings to minimize erosion and protect some of the species downstream. Do you bridge across them too? In some nah, cases, no. Well. It just Those depends. Tractors and that's equipment where, going through, and that's where the NRCS engineers come into exactly. play. Exactly. Okay. And so there's yep. NR I don't even give. Stuff. I don't even <laughs> say anything about that. I'm like engineers, help. Yep. <laughs> so uh, stream crossings are important. Right. Uh, the big one, you know, we look a lot at was stream bank and shoreline protection. Mm -hmm. You know, we have almost 60 plus inches of rainfall a year here in Tennessee. We're 10 inches away from being considered a temperate rainforest. Guess oh, wow. what? With all these hills and hollers, that water has to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it goes down, and it speeds up, mm -hmm. and, and, and starts eating away at banks. So some protecting... Of our, no, I was going to say, some of our landowners, some of our clients, they're losing you know, multiple feet of, of croppable land or, or production every year. And we're yes, talking we're about off, like yeah. 5, 10 feet You know, we've sometimes. had several... 500 year events in the right. past two That's years right. exactly so those events really create damage and and, and armoring those stream banks uh, sloping them back on a two to one and putting riprap in and protecting them to keep all of that soil that would have been in the river on dry land right, right. Uh, you know those are all important uh, erosion issues with crop fields are definitely something NRCS is going to look at mm -hmm. uh, fixing those, creating grass waterways, keeping all that good soil on the crop field for the farmer yep. so he can maximize his production and, and minimize his chemical runoffs too. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, stabilizing with heavy use areas, controlling animal movements. All these are different practices that, uh, you know, getting those cows off the stream and protecting the areas where they are. You've seen it in the winter. Mm -hmm. You're driving by and they're feeding round bells right off the creek and it's just a huge, soupy, muddy mess. Right. Let's mm -hmm. clean that up. Let's get them away from there. Let's give them a hardened area where we can minimize erosion. But there's so many practices and it's so easy for a landowner, whether you've got two acres or 2,000 acres, it doesn't matter. If you're interested in protecting this species and other wildlife species or being conservation friendly with what you do on your land, NRCS and TWRA are a great outreach to reach out to and, and ask them. That's what I was gonna say the next point. I mean, there's a lot of people out there watching, a lot of people listening. How would how would someone contact you to, to do this? The best way is in each county, you can either go to your local soil conservation district office okay. or NRCS office and reach out to your district conservationist or your soil conservationist, and, and they can put you in touch with myself or Geronimo. Okay. Yep. Awesome. Do you uh, have anything else you want to add? we got a couple minutes or about a minute left. So I work at the NRCS office out of the Knoxville office, the area office, but any NRCS office that you contact or T-Library or whoever you contact, I'm sure that will trickle down uh, with the Help Inner Initiative. We'll be able to to get someone to visit with you and, and go from there. You bet. Awesome. Yep. If you want to come see these creatures, these amazing creatures, come see Sherry. Maybe she could meet you and set yeah. up a tour or something, but uh, come see them in the zoo. They're pretty cool. What building are they in? Uh, they're in the Unseen World. Unseen World. Okay. Yep. Awesome. So, uh, and we got the, the model here. Are you going to kiss one Just on camera, Geronimo? <laughs> I love these things, man. <laughs> I'm glad that one wasn't in the bucket. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in. Thank you guys for 
pulling this together. This is a great project that people need to know about and, and protect your streams, protect your, your, the habitat for these guys, uh, control the runoff and things like that. Contact them and see how you can help. Uh, it's, uh, it's an amazing project. And like they said, the, if this thing's healthy, our streams are healthy. So you got uh, that right. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate so, it. Thank you all for tuning in. Keep coming back. Visit tnwildlife.org if you want to find out all about Tennessee wildlife. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.